What I'm wanting you to see as we go through this chart is there are huge contrasts between the two riders. And this rider in Revelation 6 is a deceiver. He's an imposter. He's not Christ. He's Antichrist. This is Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. Perhaps you've heard of the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, and it is these that we're looking at in our study of the Revelation. We're in Chapter 6, and in a message titled, The White Horse of Deception, Dr. Brogy is looking at the first of these horses. Some students of Scripture have identified the first horseman to be Jesus Christ, because in the 19th chapter of Revelation, Jesus is clearly identified as coming on a white horse. But we will see today that this horseman is really the Antichrist. Let's rejoin Pastor Carl as he explains the importance of knowing the Old Testament in order to accurately interpret the Revelation. When someone says to me, well, Pastor Carl, do you believe in a literal interpretation of the Bible? My answer is yes and no. Yes, in the sense, if it's a symbol... I recognize it's a symbol. Then I try to interpret the symbol, letting Scripture interpret the Scripture. And then when I understand what the symbol means, I literally believe it. So when the Bible says that Satan is a great red dragon, it's describing his cruel and hateful and vicious nature. Uh, Somebody might say, well, that's only a symbol. So he's not literally a cruel red dragon, so there must be no devil. No, 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 no. You understand what the symbol means, and then you literally believe it. So key to understanding Revelation is, number one, key is to understand the Old Testament, but also to understand that the principles that God, the promises that God made to Israel, and we'll spend some time on this, are unconditional. God is not done with the Jewish people. Now, unfortunately, at least in the American church, the popular view, because there's a lot of Reformed guys like Alistair Begg and John Piper and on and on the list would go, R.C. Sproul, who think that God is done with Israel. He is not done with Israel. God is going to fulfill human history through Israel. Just as He brought the first coming of Messiah through Israel, He's going to bring the second coming of Christ through Israel. Now look at verse 2 of Revelation 6. That was a rabbit trail, I know. <laughs> I looked, and behold a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. So when we read this verse, and we ask, well, who is this rider, and what is the seal judgment that he brings? Well, it all depends on how you interpret Revelation. If you take the allegorical approach, you can make it to be whatever you want it to be. Uh, the Mormons are known for allegorizing the Bible. And so they say these seven seals represent 7,000-year time frames in human history to make some of their cultist false doctrines work. If you're a preterist uh, and say it was all history and all fulfilled before 70 AD, they take the first horsemen to be the Parthian warriors because the Parthians were known for riding on white horses. And they say, well, this happened when the leader of the Parthians came on his white horse and he tried to make an attempt against Rome in 62 AD. Well, the historicists, he says, 
whatever basically he wants it to mean in his time frame in human history. So I I really can't spend much time on it because there's so many different positions. But the modern day historicist, for instance, says the white horse represents military victory. When God removes the the rider on the red horse and and, uh, in the red horse is the rise of communism and on and on and on it goes. Again, the problem with this is Jesus is going to give us the key to interpreting Revelation. So you got to stay with me. We're going to spend five or six sermons just in chapter six. And the key to understanding so that you can see so clearly is to see how Jesus understood Revelation ever before it was written. And he gives you the schematic for the events in the Revelation and the Olivet Discourse. So we'll come to that. Now, here's a picture slide so you don't get lost in the weeds. All right, remember, the rapture of the church is a little space of time there between the rapture and the start of the seven years. We don't know if it's weeks, days, or months, but it appears to be short because we saw in the opening of the book that the events are going to happen very quickly, very suddenly. So it appears to be a very short time. But this seven-year period, Revelation and Daniel alike and Jesus divides it into two halves, three and a half years, 42 months, 1260 days. So these four horsemen of the apocalypse, in fact, the first six seals all happen in the first half of the tribulation. Then an event will happen right dead center, as Jesus will point out. It's called the abomination of desolation when Antichrist claims to be God. And then the great tribulation period you begin to have great, great, great tribulation like you've never seen. Now, when we look at these first six seals, they're going to be chilling. But they won't even begin to compare with the trumpet and the bold judgments that are going to follow. So, now let me just say for a moment, there are a few people who are futurists who still literally interpret it but they take the first horse still to be the preaching of the gospel through Christ and his church. And so it's not a matter of how to interpret Scripture. Maybe it's more of a matter of how carefully to interpret the Scripture. So I want you to see that these riders are very different. And so most who take a futuristic approach say this first rider is the Antichrist. Hold your finger here and go to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation 19. Let me read something to you over in the 19th chapter. Revelation chapter 19. It is describing the second coming of the Lord Jesus. It's describing that time when Jesus will come again on a white horse. I I think Dr. Billy Graham was absolutely correct some 30 years ago when he wrote the book, The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. He saw it as all being out in the future and that this rider was not indeed Jesus. Look at, the, look at the description of Jesus, verse 11 of Revelation 19. There's no slides here. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him, which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies, which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, by the way, that's us, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, 
so that with it he may strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now bring up the next chart. It begins to show the differences between these two riders. If you read the two passages and put them side by side, you discover that the rider in Revelation chapter 6 and verse 2 has a bow And the Lord Jesus, by the way, whom no one debates, is the writer in chapter 19, really the fifth horseman of the apocalypse. He has a sharp sword coming from his mouth. He is coming to conquer the enemies of God. Now, both are on a white horse, but the weapons are different. This man has a bow. And you'll see a lot of artwork on the four horsemen of the apocalypse. The most carefully done ones show a bow only and no arrow. Some of them show a man with an arrow. He doesn't have any arrows. He has a bow only. Remember, the Bible teaches he is coming as a man of peace. And so while he has a bow in which to threaten people by with the threat of war, he is going to come as a man of peace. Basically, he says, look, I have a gun, but I don't need any bullets in it. He's a deceiver. And of course, the world is going to fall into the devil's trap. Paul, speaking of this time frame, said in 1 Thessalonians 5, 3, while they are saying peace and safety, and that's what they are going to be saying at the start of the tribulation when this man comes to the forefront. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child and they will not escape. What I'm wanting you to see as we go through this chart is there are huge contrasts between the two riders, and this rider in Revelation 6 is a deceiver, he's an imposter, he's not Christ, he's Antichrist. Now beyond the weapon, think about the crown of the white horse rider. Think about the crown that he has uh, here on the chart, as you can see. Not only are their weapons different, but their crowns are different. Verse 2 says, I looked and behold a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And so here on the chart, you have a crown, and it's not the same kind of crown that Jesus has. Number one, it's singular. It's the Greek word Stephanus. It was the crown that was given to the athlete, a, a, a laurel wreath that would go on his head that would wither and dry up. Whereas Jesus is not wearing a crown, a Stephanus. He is wearing, a, he's wearing diadems. Some of your translations say crowns, plural, Uh, The King James and the Net renders it that way. But the New American Standard and the ESV, they don't really interpret the word as they transliterate the word. The word is diadema, and it's in the plural because they want to underscore the literal importance that he is wearing a different kind of crown than the one that the Antichrist has. He's wearing the crown of a king, and it's not one crown. It's a plurality of crowns. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. Third, let's think about the influence, the influence of the white horse rider. Not only are their weapons different and their crowns are different, but the length of their influence is very, very different. Again, here on the chart, the influence of the Antichrist is a man of peace is for three and a half years, but it's a false peace. It's the peace before the coming storm, and the storm will culminate with the battle of the Armageddon. But the world will be so desperate for a solution to the world's crises that they will not heed the warning of the Bible, and they will want peace at any price. It reminds me in many ways of what took place during the Second World War with Adolf Hitler. 
In an effort to have peace, Neville Chamberlain went to Hitler, and Hitler signed a contract saying, we will not harm England. We will not destroy you. And Neville Chamberlain came back to parades of cheering people across the British Isles, thanking him for what he had done. And they were convinced that Hitler would not touch them. They were all convinced, except one person, Winston Churchill. And Churchill said he was a snake preparing to strike. Now, the Bible teaches that he will come with words. We studied him and the prophet Daniel. Really, more is said about the Antichrist and the prophet Daniel than in any other book in all of the Bible. And we saw he's Mr. Big Mouth. He comes with words of great boasting and arrogance. He's braggadocious. But not only will he come with big words, he will come with great power. Paul, in describing him, 2 Thessalonians 2, coming, his coming, he says... The Antichrist, the man of lawlessness. His coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish. Three words describe him. Power, signs, false wonders. Three words describe the Lord Jesus. Listen to Acts 2.22, Peter's preaching. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus and Nazarene, a man attested to you with powers, Duna may say, same word. We get our word dynamite from it. Wonders, signs, same Greek words, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. Paul, in describing the Antichrist, uses the same three words power. He comes with great power. We get our word dynamite from it. The Antichrist is going to come with incredible power. He's going to come with Simeon signs. Uh, it's, it's a Greek word that describes a, a, a miracle with a message behind it. It's John's favorite word for miracles. He's going to do miracles, but behind the miracles, he's going to have false teaching. A man is not a man of God just because he does a miracle. There are going to be many false Christs who are going to come and teach all kinds of wrong things, but they will have miracles associated with them. And people assume because they are miracles, they are men of God. Listen, the devil can imitate virtually anything. And wonders, it's the Greek word for miracles, teros, that describes a sense of absolute awe. And the awe is going to be so great, most of the world will worship this man. So we read here in 2 Thessalonians verse 10, with all the deception of wickedness, for those who perish, why? Because they did not receive the love of the truth to be saved. You have an opportunity to be saved today. If you're not, you're in big trouble. Because when the Antichrist comes, because you did not receive the truth so as to be saved, you will believe the lie. So listen, the white horse suggests a counterfeit of Christ. And he tries to counterfeit Christ. And so think about it. We live in an unparalleled time in human history were the threats of terrorism and nuclear proliferation and all kinds of things. What one nation can do, it can infect the entire world. And the world, at this time in human history, out there in the future, is going to be so desperate for someone to step up to the plate and lead them and to rescue them from the disasters that are happening upon the earth that they will embrace this false man of God, this Antichrist. Now, he rules for three and a half years, and in the end, the world is brought into the battle of Armageddon. But what about Christ's rule? It's so different. 
Revelation 20, verse 4, Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus, and because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their right hand, and they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. When Jesus comes, he will have a thousand-year rule upon the earth, and that thousand-year rule where God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven will turn into the eternal reign of his kingdom that will never end. Now, I'm almost done. Beyond the weapon, the crown, the influence, let's think for a moment about the title of the white horse rider, the title. Not only their weapons, crowns, and influence is very different, but the titles they own are quite different. Verse 2, I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it. The ESV and the RSV says it's rider, it's interpretive, but literally it says he who sat on it. And again, this chart shows the comparison between Revelation 6 and Revelation 19. In Revelation 6, he's called a rider or he who sat on it. Couldn't fit it all in. Or in Revelation 19, he's called the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He who sat on it is faithful and true. This is a different person. He is called the King of kings and Lord of lords. And by the way, when we get to that chapter, I will point out to you, that is the exact same title that is given to God the Father. King of kings, Lord of lords. And so appropriate because to see Jesus is to see the Father. And so the first rider brings nothing but trouble. The second rider will bring nothing but blessing. The first rider will bring in the great tribulation period. The second rider will bring in God's millennial kingdom upon the earth. And we will see when we study this along with the Olivet Discourse that the two passages perfectly reflect one another. Now, why study all this? Revelation 1.3 says, Blessed, blessed, is he who reads aloud the words of the prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and keep what is written in it. God wants to bless you, and I want to tell you, if you will stick with me through the revelation, you are going to experience a level of blessing like you've never known. Because God, I believe when you understand revelation rightly, it will change your life. God is not trying to give you some schematic of the future. He is not trying to make you a more intelligent sinner. He is trying to make you more like Jesus Christ. So how are we going to apply this? Let me make three applications this morning as we close in the form of a question. Number one, which rider are you identifying with? With 666, the Antichrist, or the number of Messiah, 777? Are you investing in the temporary kingdom of the Antichrist that is like a Stephanus that is fading away and withering? Or are you investing in the diadems of the Messiah of Jesus Christ whose kingdom is forever and ever? The Apostle John wrote these words in his first letter, children, it is the last hour. By the way, we've been in the last hour since the day of Pentecost. We've been in the last days since the day of Pentecost. Because the Bible teaches the imminent return of Christ. Now, there is another term called the latter days. That refers to the end of time, but the last days began with Pentecost. Nothing ever in the history of the church has ever needed to be fulfilled for Jesus to come back. 
But we are seeing prophecy being fulfilled in our day for the second coming that reminds you that the rapture that precedes the second coming is all that much closer. So which kingdom are you identifying with? Children, it's the last hour, just as you've heard that Antichrist, that one world leader is coming. Even now many Antichrists appear. From this we know it's the last hour. God said it through many of the apostles in the New Testament that as soon as the ascension would take place, there would be a false sowing of seeds, people who are against Christ. And the spirit of Antichrist has been at work. But I want to tell you, the spirit of Antichrist that has been at work for 2,000 years... There's coming a day when the spirit of Antichrist will literally embody himself in a human ruler. Now, coming events typically cast their shadows. Coming events typically cast their shadows. And so it's not surprising to me to see what we are seeing going on in our world today. The Holy Spirit who is restraining sin, he is going to ultimately remove that restraint. When we study these first four seals, when we study the first six seals, we're going to see they happen all in the first three and a half years. The birth pangs haven't even started yet. But to have birth pangs, you have to have a pregnancy. And I think God is allowing us to see in our world that there's a real pregnancy and the birth pangs are going to start maybe before we realize. I I went to a couple of different websites this week, you know, CNN, Fox News, all that. Here's some of the headlines just in the last eight days. Trans inmate wins the right to move to prison for women. Violence flares in Caracas as currency meltdown continues. Four Americans sprayed an acid attack in France. Mexico murders up with the deadliest month in 20 years due to drug war. Chemical expert fears terrorists could release black death in cities. Jihadists eye train derailments and food poisoning. Threat level in London critical. Kim threatens to turn USA into a sea of flames. Hawaii prepares for nuclear attack from North Korea. California Inman calls on Allah to annihilate Jews. 60% of Americans want cannabis legalized. India and China locked in eyeball-to-eyeball border standoff. Woman fired for voting against same-sex marriage. That woman was in Australia, 18 years old. It's made international news. Her boss found out that she voted against same-sex marriage, and so he fired her. And her mother wrote us this week, thanking us for the training she had in this church to be able to stand for Jesus Christ. Cell phone bomb found in passenger luggage, and on and on and on we could go. The spirit of Antichrist is at work. And he has a temporal kingdom. But 777 has an eternal kingdom. So which kingdom are you investing in? Are you investing in a withering crown? What will the end of your life be like when your kids are there and, and they've got to move you to some place? And you, what are they going to do with all your stuff? When we had to move my mother into another place, her and my dad lived in a home for 50 years, and we had a house with four floors filled with stuff. What do we do with it? None of us wanted it. We had our own stuff. What are you going to do with it? What kind of a kingdom are you really investing in? 
Secondly, are you resting in the sovereignty of God as he rules this world? Sometimes I think, by how much the world has changed for evil since our family began in 1980. Our family began the day we got married. Children is not the start of a family. That's the growth of a family. And God gave us five children. And I thought, what a different world it is now for my grandchildren to be raised into. But while the world is very different, this is still my father's world. He is still sovereignly in control. In verse 2, it says, a crown was given did on me. It was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. In verse 4, when we come to it, and another, a red horse went out into him who sat on it. It was granted. Same word, did on me. It was given to him to take peace from the earth. Verse 8, I looked and behold an ashen horse, and he who sat on it had the name Death and Hades. Authority was did on me, given to them over a fourth of the earth. All the way, whether it's the sail or the trumpet or the bold judgments, they come from the hand of a sovereign God. Satan is not in charge. As Luther used to rightly and correctly say, the devil is God's devil. He can't do anything that God does not allow. And so God allows these four horsemen to be released, but they are on God's leash. God is sovereign. Rest in that sovereignty. Third and finally... Will you receive Christ or will you be deceived by any Christ? Your decision today is very important. I hope you do not leave without an assurance that if the next minute you died or the trumpet sounded for the church, that you would go to heaven. You need to settle that issue. When God's redeemed are caught up into heaven and praising and worshiping there in the throne room of God, where will you be? If you don't know Jesus, more than likely, you will be taking the mark of the Antichrist. It's up to you, and it's all dependent on what you do with Jesus. Because what you do with Jesus will determine in the end what God will do with you. You confess Him, He'll confess you. You deny Him, He'll deny you. You receive Him, He will receive you. So it's very important that you deal with this one who is called the Christ, Jesus. He's not an antichrist. He is the Christ. And someday every knee and every tongue will acknowledge that. Now, Holy Father, we thank You for Your Word, a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Thank You for unfolding for us the future that You have not only given us the start of time, but You show us how it will all end in the very end of time. I pray today, Father, for someone who is here who is uncertain of their salvation. Help them to see. I pray that Jesus paid it all, that He died completely and wholly for all of their sin, that if they will call upon His name and put their faith, their confidence, their trust in His death and resurrection to change them and to forgive them, that You said You would do it. Help someone in simple, childlike faith to say, Lord Jesus, save me. Now, Father, we know as we move to the end of the age, Your Word is so plain, things will not get better, they will get worse. So give us eyes to see and ears to hear, and please guard us that we not, might not become part of this lukewarm age for Christ. Help us not to identify in the temporalness of the kingdom of the Antichrist, 
But help us to identify with the Lord Jesus and his eternal kingdom. Help us to see the things that are not seen that are eternal. Help us to invest in the things that really, truly matter. And we ask it for the glory of Jesus and in his holy name. Amen. To listen again to today's message or any of the messages in our series on the Revelation, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD copy by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program REV14. And if you can help support Search the Scriptures with a one-time or recurring financial gift, please click the Give button on the Search the Scriptures app or at searchthescriptures.org or call 877-787-7478. Thank you. Tomorrow we begin a look at the Red Horse of Destruction as we continue our study of Revelation and Search the Scriptures.